0: Thank you for downloading and listening to This Pathological Life. If you're interested in continuing the story, we have a second series called This Medical Life. Please download it and subscribe now.
1: Dr. Travis Brown, why do we need a podcast called This Pathological Life?
0: Every disease has its own story to tell. So we're going to tell them.
1: Also created asbestos cement roofing, which has made buildings safer and more durable. This material, available in many types and colors, is not only attractive but fireproof too. This same kind of scientific thinking was applied to the problem of sidewalls for the homes of America. In the development of a better siding material, rigid specifications were set up. It must be attractive, easy to handle. Adjustable to architectural design, weatherproof and rotproof. Furthermore, it must be safe from the hazards of fire and, above all, free from constant maintenance expense. Made for lifetime use. There's something profoundly disturbing when a product in society that we have relied upon and taken for granted turns out to be something very dangerous and damaging blindsiding many of us and that product we're talking about in this episode is asbestos and the condition we know as mesothelioma Travis where does this story begin
0: in february of 2001 i was working in business in melbourne at the time and An unusual occurrence happened. The organisation James Hardy, which was an asbestos manufacturer, uh, had been since the 1930s. Share price was increasing. They had just announced the Medical Research and Compensation Foundation, which was an organisation set up to compensate uh, workers, their own workers, who had been exposed and injured due to asbestos, and they had made an announcement
1: sufficient funds to meet all legitimate compensation claims anticipated from people injured by asbestos products that were manufactured in the past by two former subsidiaries.
0: So what the organisation had done is it had created this organisation as a means to, to fund uh, asbestos claims coming through. They absolved themselves of any liability, they passed it all over to this organisation James Hardy in 2001 had around $2 billion on their books, uh, sales of $1.5 billion, and they're an asbestos manufacturer. And their share price was increasing at a time when in the 1980s and 1990s, organisations that are asbestos manufacturers were going bankrupt and out of business because of claims from workers because of it. They put $239 million into this, into this uh, foundation, washed their hands of it, and then the share price was going up. And I couldn't quite work it out. And then in August of 2001, 98% of the shareholders agreed that this organisation can move offshore to the Netherlands to take advantage of a tax oh. haven in the US-Netherlands treaty. And so they left this foundation even at the time It was known that there was nowhere near enough money, and I couldn't quite work it out because I saw Investors saying this is an organization. We want to be a part of a bit more uh, Clearly enough uh, The money was nowhere near enough and in six years later the government stepped in and got an amount of four billion dollars f- To adequately compensate injuries. I mean that's six years and I just remember thinking the share price is going up. When they're doing something clearly wrong, they're almost being rewarded for bad behaviour. And so when you start to dig a little bit deeper, you realise James Hardy is just in a, a queue of misbehaving organisations. There's a long queue there and asbestos is, is, is in the mix. So if we look at when asbestos started to become an industrial an industrial mineral that was used we're talking about the mid-1800s to late 1800s and this is where it started to be in manufacturing and mining Uh, but the conditions were very different they were working in an environment where visibility was a few few meters
1: due to asbestos fibers that is nightmarish itself (laughs) That that portends to what was to come later. Exactly. But the,
0: the other thing is, because they didn't know about it, and this was a relatively new industrial use of it, most of them died of what they thought was consumption, so TB, in the lungs. But they were getting so much fibrosis, they were dying because of, well, clearly what we know now. So we start to get evidence going through in 1900. Fry a Dr H Montague Murray who noticed a young worker in an asbestos factory had lung tissue destroyed by these asbestos needles. Then corporate America or corporate US started to understand and in 1918 the New York Prudential Life Insurance ceased insuring asbestos workers with life insurance. So they started to know that early.
1: 1918.
0: 1918. In 1924, we've got William Cook who does a report on fibrosis of the lungs due to inhale asbestos dust. So the medical community is starting to cotton on here. But the problem is so is the asbestos industry. And they get, in 1929, a doctor from the Met- Metropolitan Life Insurance assistant medical director by the name of Dr. Anthony Lanza to come in and investigate lung disease in their workers. And what does he find? He finds that 50% of textile workers have lung disease by five to 10 years. That increases to 90% when they're there for 15 years. But remember, he's a medical insurance. Mm. So he there was a plant doctor who said should we put up warnings and his answer is no because it will create a potential legal situation the results were suppressed so in 1932 we've got us companies ray bestos manhattan and johns manville starting to modify studies and we've got in 1933 british company, Turner and Newell, starting to influence governments to limit the regulations they're putting on, as- on asbestos. And in 1935, we're starting to get the first reports where a doctor by the name of Stephen Gloyne, a London pathologist, reported a l- case of lung cancer and suggested that asbestos was a possible link to mesothelioma. And then we get a classic 1935 uh, company lawyer, like the president writes to a company lawyer and says,
1: The less said about asbestos, the better off we are.
0: And as the years are going by, more 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 and more countries are listing asbestos as an occupational disease. At the same time this is happening, so in the 1930s, 40s, the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company becomes a major insurer for asbestos industry and starts to be able to limit safety inspections in the organisation. Come 1948, we've got a doctor by the name of Dr Kenneth Smith who writes a memo to John's Manville head office. So this is an asbestos manufacturer about seven workers' x-ray about them having asbestosis.
1: And he wrote, As long as the man is not disabled, it's felt that he should not be told of his condition so that he can live and work in peace and the company can benefit by his many years of experience.
0: So the president not only agreed, it became company policy that workers were not to be told about when they were were sick or even when they were becoming sicker. And more countries are now listing this. You know, Switzerland, Austria uh, is an asbestos, is an occupational disease. And then the linkage is made in 1962 by Dr. Irving Slenikoff, who linked asbestos with life-threatening diseases, including cancer. In 1966, we've got the Bendix Corporation executive who wrote in a memorandum...
1: My answer to the problem is... If you've enjoyed a good life while working with asbestos products, why not die from it? There's got to be some cause.
0: So in 1970s, the industry creates an Asbestos Information Association of North America. Uh, This is effectively a lobbying organisation used to restrict or limit the amount of government regulations in their industry. And oddly enough, this is about the time, so that's happening in the US... In Australia, in the 70s or 80s this is when we're hitting our peak <laughs> with regards to asbestos being uh, an insulation product. So there is uh, you know advertisements of Mr. Fluffy and asbestos fluff being put into insulation building materials and by the time of 1982 the organization John's Mansville files for bankruptcy and then in 1988 Johns Mansville emerged from bankruptcy to establish the Manfield Personal Injury Settlement Trust for $2.5 billion. In 1989, the EPA for America announced uh, plans to phase out all asbestos industries um, and a ban of new use of asbestos. And true to form in 1991, the U.S. Courts reversed that ban. It's still used in uh, the US today, and there's quite a number of manufacturers, Um, main ones being uh, places like uh, Russia. But asbestos was only banned in Australia in 2003. Just to put it into context, the Mansfield Personal Injury Settlement Trust for $2.5 billion set in 1988. If we just look back at the books of uh, Johns Mansfield, in 1974, they made a billion dollars worth of sales, upwards of a billion dollars. In
1: 1974. So if you
0: equate yes. how much that is, that's the same amount that they put into a trust in 1988 to compensate workers. So one year's worth of sales is their compensation fund for an organisation that's been running for over 100 years at that time.
1: It's certainly haunting to think back of the the willful way it was pushed through and hushed up volcanoes, millions of years ago, resulted in the formation of a deposit called olivine. As the years passed, it became covered with successive layers of earth. Then the rains came. Below ground, the olivine absorbed the water and swelled, like gelatine. Eventually it dried out, leaving cracks and crevices which made a sort of rock matrix or mould. The silk-like fibres that grew in the cracks were the material from which asbestos was made. So, you see, the remarkable fire-resisting Sound insulating product known as asbestos is not a vegetable fibre, but a mineral, a piece of rock. In its heyday, and in a prolonged way through beyond its uh, virtuous shelf life, there was something about asbestos, wasn't it, as a as a miracle product?
0: Absolutely. So it, it was one of those things that I didn't realize growing up, I knew it was about, it had insulation uh, properties. So, but I didn't know until looking into it, how amazing asbestos is. And I can understand why it's been used so much that the term asbestos is a, is a Greek term and it means indestructible or eternal. And asbestos has a silk like quality. So the, the softness, but it's actually a mineral, it's an inorganic element and it's made up of different compositions with regards to calcium magnesium silicate and it's naturally occurring it's able to be mined and they have soft flexible fibers now it's put into two categories one's short fibers uh, with regards to short uh, jagged or straight uh, and one's curly one's called amphibole is the straight jagged type and there's five different types in there you'll talk about crocodilite which is blue and amicite which is brown there's three others uh, and then you've got the other one which is uh, called serpentine which is crystallite which is also known as the white asbestos uh, and A lot of the times, uh, the white has been used uh, significantly in past production. The properties are are quite amazing. It is resistant to fire, to heat, electrical, chemical. It has a melting point of 1,500 degrees centigrade. When we look at the ancient uses, they, they noted this because the Greek geographer Strabo noted a strange cloth. So they were making it all the way back then. And when it got dirty to clean it, they'll throw it into the fire. Oh, wow. And so then they'll take it out and it was clean. It would be white. And then we got Pliny the Elder, who's a Roma- Roman historian, who noted that asbestos to- tablecloths uh, were fire resistant. And they could even make uh, royal shrouds. So you would actually have them as crematorial uh, wrappings put the body in to the fire, and then because it was resistant, you would have the ashes that were separate from the flames, from the, the, the wood, and be able to use them.
1: Probably the only person for whom use of asbestos was safe was that person being cremated. Exactly.
0: Slaves were the people who would mine asbestos, and they, there was a sickness of the lungs that these slaves would get. And even Pliny the Elder noted that some of the slaves would wear a thin membrane across their face, which was made of either the bladder of a goat or a lamb to protect themselves from the fibers. You can understand when it hits the industrial age that this is a remarkable miracle product that is fire resistant. There is advertisements shown of uh, men having asbestos gowns jumping into fire to put it out because they're protected by these fibers. Uh, unfortunately, there is no safe level of exposure. So whilst these amazing properties are incredible, have durable abilities, um, it's not safe because if you inhale the fibers, it can be toxic to you. So if we look at the industrial age of asbestos, in 1910, we have 128,000 tons being mined. By the mid 50s and 70s, that's up to 3 to 5 million tons of asbestos being mined and sold. At that time, over 3,000 products use it. The problem with that is the workers are getting sick. It's a long latent period, but there's significant morbidity and mortality associated with it. If we look at today, the largest exporters are Russia, Kazakhstan and Brazil. We have three of the largest importers... Uh, in India, China, and Indonesia. There is OC health and safety rules I- in areas such as the US about exposure levels. We're talking about 0.1, what they call fibres per cubic centimetre in the air, and you can only have exposure for that for eight hours. We're talking people past exposures were up to 700 in a mine. And unfortunately it still exists in, in homes today as, a, as an ins- insulation
1: uh, from the past. This, again, is a reminder of the importance of history, isn't it? Because without understanding that deep past, you kind of had rose-coloured glasses and you can think, well, of course, everyone would have been swept up. But we knew about this much longer than has been popularly accepted. Wow. Let's call... Dr. Fergus Whitehead in uh, from Klimpath uh, because he has some expertise to share on this topic.
2: On my second day in the job, the the dad of a girl I went to school with, he was, a, he was a ship's electrician. He tells me to watch out for the asbestos dust. So I asked my boss, he was, he was a big man, you know, with, with jet black hair, you only saw when he was at the Barreland dancing Because it was grey with dust most of the time But I asked him about the dust And he said, it's fine He said, it's the it's the blue stuff you've got to watch out for He said, the white stuff's fine In fact, he, ha- he had it in good authority for a doctor At the Turner Newell factory where they made the stuff That the, the magnesia in the dust was actually good for your stomach Breathe it in son, he said let that make an idea, stuff.
1: We're now joined in the studio for the last part of this episode uh, by Dr Fergus Whitehead, ClinPath CEO, and also uh, with a special interest in histopathology relating to the lung. Welcome, Fergus.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, Fergus, uh, how common is asbestos and asbestos-related
3: disease in Australia? In Australia, um, in Australia uh, it's a, quite a common disease. In fact, um, the malignancy related to asbestos, mesothelioma, is uh, the death rate for that is the second highest in the world. The reason for this is that um, uh, between the years of 1950 and about 1970, believe it or not, Australians were the highest per capita user of asbestos in the world. Uh, One of the most common areas where asbestos was mined was Western Australia with the Whitton Noon Mine, you may remember. Which relates to James Hardy, of course, who were all that uh, large company which produced uh, many products uh, from asbestos, um, which was obviously involved in construction, sheeting, roofing, guttering, and all sorts of other supplies relating to plumbing and electronics. So, and between the um, years of 1930 and 1966. In Western Australia, where the peak incidence of asbestos-related diseases, that's uh, where the blue asbestos was mined, which is the uh, asbestos specifically related to mesothelioma. The distribution across Australia
0: then, so it's mainly
3: in Western Australia? Mainly in Western Australia, however, white asbestos was mined in New South Wales. So uh, but the uh, blue asbestos is more, uh, more potent in causing asbestos related diseases and obviously the instance of those diseases were more in Western Australia but uh, in and, and least of, of all in Tasmania where they obviously didn't mine very much asbestos. It's, it has a fairly long latency period asbestos so you're exposed to it but it takes years for you to get the symptoms of the diseases.
1: Well, my dad was a builder in that period of time. Yes. And so he's just turned 80. Ah. I think he hasn't shown any symptoms yet. What are the presentations for people um, with asbestos related?
3: Well, there's uh, basically there's the symptoms uh, because you can get uh, r- a fibrosis of the lung. So that's aspos- asbestosis. Or you can develop malignancy in the pleura, which is mesothelioma. And there's also a higher instance of lung cancer of all types. Uh, uh, um, with asbestos as well and so the main symptoms are shortness of breath so uh, first obviously on exercise and then uh, just at rest and uh, chest pain uh, are the are the main are the main symptoms related to asbestos diseases so shortness of breath um, and exercise intolerance
0: so the the main people who are at risk then are the the workers the
3: workers. And particularly those workers who, um, in their job, facilitate dust being produced from the uh, products contaminated with asbestos. So it's cutting. Cutting, drilling, planing, sawing, all those sorts of jobs. And of course, the main industries, which wouldn't be a surprise to you, uh-huh. would be uh, obviously uh, tradespeople involved in construction, plumbers, gas fitters. Uh, also um, in shipbuilding um, and automotive maintenance uh, industries, so any industry where there is um, using the uh, asbestos impregnated products and uh, causing friction to that and being exposed to the dust.
1: So yet again, when first presenting to a GP, taking that history yes. uh, becomes all it important. Comes,
3: it, occupational history in patients with presenting with pulmonary disease, particularly in the uh, age group where they would have had the opportunity to work with asbestos, is very important. Well, right.
0: there's, there's been a there's a bit of confusion for myself uh, as a junior doctor. Seen lots of X-rays where they talk about pleural plaques.
3: Yes. Uh, now, are they? Re- always related to uh, no uh, pleural plaques. Are not always related to asbestos disease, but in, but are commonly associated with it. But interestingly, you don't find the as- actual asbestos within the pleural plaques, but you do within the fib- the lung fibrosis and the pl- plaques themselves often present with uh, if if that's all you have present with no symptoms, possibly a small pleural effusion that's fluid around the lung, but usually asymptomatic.
0: Looking at the pathogenesis do we know why Um, lung cancer and and mesothelioma developed?
3: uh, I don't think there's a specific pathogenic or what the actual mechanism is known Uh, but as far as uh, I'm aware the pathogenesis relates to the fact that uh, the asbestos fibres particularly the short ones the amphiboles get into the lung tissue and uh, they can't be removed by the body so inflammation is set up and causes a chronic irritation now. And during inflammation, um, oxygen-free radicals are produced, which cause damage to DNA, and accumulated damage to DNA over a period of time causes uh, um, causes cancer, causes the malignancy.
0: Do we know the prognosis, first of all, for pleural plaques? Do, does everyone who have a pleural plaque develop asbestosis or does it go forward?
3: N- uh, no, um, not everybody who develops... Um, Plural plaques will develop asbestosis but it, a lot of the pathology related to aspo, asbestosis is, is related specifically to the, how much they've been exposed and the particular type of asbestos they're exposed to. So if it's the short fibres like um, the amphiboles like crocodilite, which was mined in Witten and Mine, uh, that causes, is quite pathogenic and if there's high exposure, particularly the miners, you imagine the miners would have been exposed every day, uh, they are more likely to develop the disease. As I said, you don't find the uh, asbestos fibres within the pleural plaques, but you do within the lung. And uh, and obviously, the more exposed, the more fibres you find, and the quicker the d- disease can progress. So really, the the diseases which uh, cause morbidity or patient problems are the fibrosis associated with um, which is asbestosis and then obviously the malignancies that can occur.
0: So is asbestosis almost a a chronic disease that someone will live
3: sorry it's a chronic disease Uh, usually the uh, people start developing symptoms uh, 10 to 15 years after their exposure and uh, maybe 20 years and then it's a chronic disease uh, with progressive fibrosis of the lung
0: then there is obviously an element that people progress to lung cancer Mm. um, or uh, mesothelioma so is there a percentage or do we know how many people are at risk who have asbestosis
3: that will go to them i can't give you a specific figure but uh, it's a significant uh, percentage higher than the normal particularly if the patient is a uh uh, is a smoker, so the the two risk factors combine. I mean, a patient who has pulmonary fibrosis of other causes can also develop, has a high risk of developing lung cancer as well. It is significantly higher risk than the normal population.
0: The prognosis for mesothelioma?
3: Uh, very poor, because A, that's not amenable to surgery because it involves the pleura, so you can't just remove the pleura and, and excise the tumour. And B, the tumour has very little sensitivity to... Uh, a usual chemotherapy agents. One of the reasons is that it's usually not a highly proliferative tumour which means and, and uh, c- cancer chemotherapy works on the fact that tumour cells are very proliferative and knocks them off or kills them in preference to normal cells and there hasn't been many breakthroughs in uh, as there has been in lung cancer uh, such as with immunotherapy and targeted mo- molecules that there has been in mesothelioma. Does
1: that mean just the passing of time and the distance from when asbestos was so uh, prolifically in our society, that this disease
3: is going to gradually disappear? The incidence has probably peaked. There's been around 10,000 deaths in Australia from asbestos-related disease, principally mesothelioma, since about 1980. And the prediction is, obviously this will, and it, it peaked in around 2014, where there were 770 cases and around 670 deaths but over the next 40 uh, years it's predicted there will be another 25,000 patients over that time so because of the long latency period uh, we are going to experience this disease for many years to come but at some point when the you know the cohort of people exposed are no longer with us then the incidence will fall. Certainly we're hoping that there's no other building products
1: no in our society. No
3: and of course there are still houses out there at the moment that have been built that still have asbestos in and if you've got any um, a house, an old house that you think might have asbestos in you've, it's very important you try and get the experts in to remove it because really men uh, get their diseases from exposure to um, the workplace and uh, working with asbestos but the women who obviously present a smaller percentage about 20% of the cases get it from their husbands coming home and the products that they're exposed to at home So, but there are still asbestos containing products out there
1: Well, I'm certainly glad that 12 years ago when we moved into the house I'm in now Mm. and we were ripping up flooring. Is it Well, well, yeah, we found found some asbestos. Ah, I see. And I was tempted to prove to my dad that I'm a a bloke as well. And I was going to rip it up and I thought, no, we'll err on the side of caution. There's been enough in the media. Very good choice. Thank goodness for that. Very good choice. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Fergus Whitehead. No problem. This pathological life is produced by ClinPath Pathology in South Australia. Episode notes, references, and learning objectives, when applicable, can be found at thispathologicallife.com.au. And you can contact the hosts on Twitter via at Dr. Travis Brown or at Steve Davis. thanks again for listening. And just a reminder, if you haven't done it yet, have a quick search in your podcast app for our second series, This Medical Life. Dr. Travis Brown has rolled up some extra guests, some extra topics, and we continue the story there. And we'd love to have you along.